There was an old man who had a store. He's been working for the store for a long time. He put all his energy and his, his time to it. He loved that store. But now he's getting old, and he got sick, and he was on his deathbed. And he was conscious, unconscious for a while, and then he was you know, about to die. His family members were very sad and all gathered together. They were all watching what was going to happen. And this man, he couldn't really speak too loudly, but he, he called for his wife. Honey, are you here? Honey. And his wife came to him and said, like, Honey, I'm right here. I'm, I'm here for you. And he said, Linda, where, where are you, Linda? And his daughter came to him and said, Dad, I'm right here for you. And then he goes, Steve, where is Steve? And Steve comes and is like, Dad, I'm here for you too. And they're all there. And this man, he looks at all the family members and said, if all of you are here, who's watching the store? <laughs> this is just a, a funny story like from Talmud. But I want to talk about the final words, final words of a person or of a man or a will. I want to look at that. The scripture reading that we had was found in John 13, 35. That's a famous, um, famous verse. But just before that, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But do you know the context of this? What this means? If you go to John chapter 13, the first part, verse 1, it's talking about the last meal, the last supper. That means that's that Thursday that Jesus is about to have a meal and wash their feet and have a meal. And within 24 hours, he will be on the cross and he would die. So he had less than 24 hours left until he died. And that's basically the final words that he's saying because once he got captured, he didn't have much time to talk to his disciples. So this is his final moment that he's spending with his disciples in peace. And shouldn't we pay attention to whatever he had to say? That's what we are studying today. So that's the context of what this verse is talking about. The disciples had spent how much time with Jesus? Three and a half years. That's a significant amount of time. For college, how many, how many years do you spend studying? Four years. For a master's degree, how many years? Two, three, depending on what you study, depending on how diligently you study. How about for a PhD? Never? <laughs> it never ends? <laughs> Six, seven years, or some people, 10 years, 15 years. It takes a long time. But keep in mind, disciples were spending 24-7 with, with Jesus. So that's not just three and a half years. It's much longer than what they have taught, what, they have, um, what you and I would spend to get a degree. So can we say the disciples had the undergrad degree, or maybe a master of divinity degree, or maybe... PhD in the life of Jesus or, or something. They got that. Because they spend a lot of time studying. But if you think about it, these people, what, they, what did they learn? 
What have they learned from Jesus? Were they all ready so that Jesus could say that, you know what, now I'm going to give this work to you guys and I can go home. Were they ready for that? Were they ready to march and graduate and get that diploma? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If you, if you know the story, later on, yes, they take on the mission that God has given and, and the commission that God gives or Jesus gives, and they change the whole world. But at this time, I don't think they were quite ready. And if, like your parents, and if you have only like less than a day left before you have to leave far away and you will never see your kids again or your family members again, what would you say to your kids or to your family members or to your loved ones? What did you say? Knowing that your children are not ready for the world, how would you prepare them? What did you say to prepare them? And that's exactly what Jesus did to his disciples, knowing that they're not ready to tackle the task that is ahead of them, Jesus prepares them. And what does he do? He washes their feet. And he tells them. But you think about this. Out of 12 disciples, how many of them were really, really prepared? And how many of them are actually ready? How successful was Jesus' ministry for three and a half years for the disciples? Were they successful? Did they all graduate with flying colors? One of them, one out of 12, dropped out. As a matter of fact, he turned him in, right? How about the other disciples? When Jesus was captured and was, um, was on the cross, how many of them were there with Jesus? When he was caught in Gethsemane, how many of them were there following Jesus? None of them. They all ran for their lives. Like, no, I don't want this. <laughs> they all ran away. And Peter and John came back at the, the scene of the cross, but the others all were like disappeared. They were gone. So were they really ready? No, not really. Because the kind of education that they had, the, the expectation they had about Jesus, it was much different than what they had in mind. They had to learn this lesson too. After that, and only then, they were ready. So this was kind of a final lesson they had to learn. Do you think Jesus was excited to go back to God? You know the phrase, home sweet home, right? You can go on a vacation, nice vacation, like a beautiful place, nice beach, or like great food, um, you know, exotic places, fun exciting places that you can go. But after all, what do you want to do? I want to go home, <laughs> right? Vacation is vacation, but home, there's no place like home. That's all true. However, for Jesus, he came down here to this earth. He spent three and a half, well, he spent 33 years here on earth, and now he's about to go home. His time here is about to expire. He's getting ready to go home. Do you think Jesus wanted to go home? to his heaven and be with God the Father and all the angels and the comfort of heaven? 
Yeah, pretty sure, in a way. But on the other hand, he was like, I don't know if my guys are ready. So he's trying his best because his time has come. He's trying his best to prepare them for something that they're not ready at all for. And the things that he does is quite remarkable. And this is what he said. This is his will, basically. Love one another just, I, just as I have loved you. What does that mean? It says in verse 34, just says, a new commandment that I give you, love one another. Is this a new commandment that Jesus gives? So in the, in the Old Testament, was that a completely different kind of covenant? The covenant from the Old Testament, that was also based on love. It's basically all the same thing, but the disciples now had to understand it from a different perspective, a different lens, uh, should I say. They had to understand it in a different way. That's why you just called it a new covenant. It doesn't mean something completely new. It's basically the same thing. And what kind of love is Jesus talking about? And what kind of love did Jesus demonstrate to us because you're just basically saying love one another just as I have loved you. So we need to know what kind of love that Jesus gave to us. Show it to us so then we can understand what kind of love he's charging us with. So <clears throat> the first kind of love is loving, lovable things. If you see pictures or if you see like cute puppies or cats, aren't they adorable? Or cute babies, Aren't they, like, just so cute? How many of you say, you know what, I hate those cute puppies? Like, cute babies? Oh, I hate them. Anybody? No, they're just adorable. You don't have to do anything. They're just cute and adorable. So loving, lovable things is the first thing that we have. Second kind of love. Yeah, you love your friends and maybe your buddies, your friends. Um, you may not spend as much time or sacrifice as much money for your friends, but you want to spend time with them, you want to hang out with them, have great time with them. Yeah, those people, great. You know, it's easy to love them. Third kind of love, strangers. Is it easy to be kind to strangers? Not really? Well, you can, you can in a way, because you will see them one time and you won't see them again. Just saying hi or being nice, being, saying kind words or showing them nice smiles, it's not, it's not difficult. It, you can do that, you know. Um, but then the fourth kind of love is that someone, oh, maybe I should say this too. How about when you come to church? There's somebody that you see every time you come to church. There are people that you want to come and talk with them and sit and eat with them. But there are some people, or maybe are there some people that you come to church and it's like, you know what, I don't want to see that person. <laughs> I don't want to sit down and eat with that person. I wish that person will sit on the other side because this is my spot. This is my spot. This, I, I sit here all the time. I wish that person will sit over there, far the other side of the church. Is there anybody like that at church? <laughs> or... Maybe someone that you don't really like, someone that you hate. Man, I wish I don't have to see that person. Like, that person makes me angry. The person gets me angry, upset. Those kind of people. Loving those people is another kind of love. Now, 
let's think about the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated to us. Did Jesus love like children and the cute and lovable things? Yes. Did Jesus show his love to his friends? Yes. How about did Jesus show his kindness and love to other strangers? Someone that he didn't know? Yes. How about his enemies? Yes, he did. So the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here is not about loving our family members, our children, or the cute things and lovable things, or our friends, or even some people that we are not really comfortable with, but we should be nice because they're our church family. Not only that, these are the people that will get to your nerves. These are the people that, would, that you want to just, oh, I just wish that they would, they, they just disappear not here anymore. I just wish that they would just move away somewhere so I don't have to deal with them. Those kind of people. Jesus is saying, love one another just as I have loved you. Meaning, we should love even those people like enemies. There is a quotation that I want to read. If you can um, show the slide found in manuscript page um, 17 of 1899, it says, To love as Christ loved means to manifest unselfishness at all times and in all places by kind words and pleasant looks. These cost those who give them nothing, but they leave behind a fragrance that surrounds the soul. Next. The effect can never be estimated. Not only are they a blessing to the receiver, but to the giver, for they react upon him. So here, it says we have to have by kind words and pleasant looks. Is it easy to do that when you go to work to your customers? To be kind, to have pleasant looks on your face? Is it easy to do that? Yes, you are trained to do that. You are supposed to do that right? You're trained to do that. But then, when your spouse makes you angry, <laughs> is it easy to say the kind words and have that pleasant look on your face? When your children mess up the whole house, after you spend like three hours cleaning up the whole house, <laughs> like they are really good at that. I think they have master's degree in messing up the house. <laughs> Just give them 30 minutes. <laughs> they are so good at messing up, messing up everything. <laughs> and you tell them to clean up. It takes forever for them to clean up. But messing up part? Oh, they're so good at it. After they have messed up everything, can you still maintain that, that <laughs> spirit and be kind to your children and have that pleasant look on your face? I'm talking to myself as well. Because... When I come to church, to our church, to the church members, it's very easy for me to smile and, and be nice to them. It's just, I think, built in. I, I think <laughs> as a pastor, you have to do that. And it's easy. It's not hard. I'm not trying to make things up, but try to smile and try to be nice to church members. That's very easy. But at home, when nobody else, no church members are looking to my children, that's hard. Trust me, that's hard. <laughs> I'm saying that to you as well to your family members, to your children, to your parents. 
can you maintain the same spirit of being kind and being, being uh, nice to them? That's what Jesus says. That's the true kind of love that Jesus is saying to us. It's challenging to us. That's the kind. And it says, it doesn't cost anything to the giver. But to the receiver, how much does it cost? You cannot estimate how much, how far it would go. The smile that you show them, the kind words that you have shared with them, that effect cannot be measured. It would leave a fragrance that surrounds the soul, cannot be estimated. That can only be measured up in heaven. Because Matthew 5, 46 says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Yeah, it's, anybody can do that. I mean, you go and talk to people who are in prison, who are gangsters, who are drug dealers. They love the people that they love them. I mean, don't we do that? We all do that. The challenge that Jesus is giving us is not loving the lovable people, but loving those who do not love us. It is challenging us to love our enemies just like Jesus had loved. Do you have that kind of love? Are we ready to march and get the diploma just like the disciples were challenged? <laughs> Something to think about. Something to think about. Here, verse 34 says, love one another. This phrase in Greek is, is guess what, what word it is. You know there are three different types of words in Greek. What kind of word is it? Is it phileo or eros or agape? It's agape. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the God's love, agape. It, it is that. But... Did you also know that this word in Greek is present active subjunctive, which means, this, this, this is a little difficult, but this basically means it's a continuing action. Meaning, it doesn't just mean, in English, it means love one another. It's, it's a command, imperative, right? But in Greek, it means, it doesn't just mean love, it means love continually. Love one another, but never stop. That's what it means in Greek. It doesn't translate into English. There is no such phrase in English. But basically, it means love, but don't stop. Continue to love. That's what it means. Do we have that kind of love? That we can love our friends, our family members, and adorable kids, but our enemies as well, continually? Do we have that love? Jesus is telling us we have to do that. The thing about love is that you and I do not have love. We don't have love in us because we are selfish beings. Yeah, we love our family members. We love our friends. We love our children. We love our parents. But is that really love? We love our spouse. But is that really the kind of love that Jesus is talking here? We don't have that kind of love. We don't. Yes, we love our family members, but we love them because they are my children, because they are my family members, because she is my wife, he's my husband. They are my parents. That's why we love them. It's like you are loving 
yourself. It is not a selfless love. It is more of a selfish love. Yes, we love our church because this is my church. The love that God is telling us is a different level. Because we don't have that kind of love that Jesus had showed, demonstrated in us, we are like an empty cup. A cup is empty, then you try to pour it out, share, there is nothing to give. For an empty cup to share the love of God, what does it have to do first? That empty cup has to be filled first. And when you have the cup overflowing, then the content can come out and share. What does that tell us? We have to receive, experience, and see that kind of love first. Otherwise, we cannot share. The next slide I want to share with you is found in Lift Him Up, page 204. It says, It is not the fear of punishment or the hope of everlasting reward that leads the disciples of Christ to follow him. They behold the Savior's matchless love revealed throughout his pilgrimage on earth from the manger to Bethlehem to Calvary's cross. Move on. And the sight of him attracts. It softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. They hear his voice and they follow him. It says, love awakens in the heart of the beholders. If we do not see the love of God, then the love is not awakened. We have to see it first. We have to experience it first. Without seeing it, we don't have love in us. Jack had been president of a large corporation. And when he got cancer, the corporation ruthlessly dumped him. And he went through his insurance, his life savings. Basically, he spent everything. He, he had nothing left in his life. And this is a story from a pastor of a Baptist church in Houston. And I'm saying it from a first perspective, uh, first point of view. And I went to visit him, visit, visit Jack with one of my deacons. And I went to see him in the, in the hospital in his dying deathbed. And I shared, um, Jack, you don't have much time left. And you know it. Are you ready to to settle and finish your life? He got very upset. And he got up and said, you guys, you Christians, you all talk about God and how great God is, but I don't see that. If God is such a great God, why doesn't he deal with real life problems in life? Why, do, why does he always talk about, you know, like heaven and all the other like beautiful things, but not what about my life? What about me? What about my family? I have, I'm leaving my wife penniless. I don't have any life savings for my daughter to go to college. And I have to die. I will die soon. What about my family? If God is a living God, why doesn't he do anything about this? And he said, just, just get out. And Jack kicked the pastor and the deacon out of his, his hospital room. After some time, the deacon insisted they go back. So they went back 
And the pastor said, Jack, I know I, I offended you last time. I really apologize. But I've been working since then, trying to find ways to help you. And I said, I know the problem that you have, that you are faced with right now, is that what your family will do after you die. They don't have a place to stay. How about, how about the house payment, the mortgage? What are you going to do? And he said, there is a realtor from our church who agreed to help you sell the house. And he said he agreed to give his commission to your wife. And I and some of my church members will pay for the house payment until the house is sold. And I talked to one of my church members who owns the apartment complex down the street. The owner of the apartment said that um, he agreed to uh, give your wife, if you agree, give her a job, give her an apartment, three-bedroom apartment, and um, free utility if she can manage and maintain um, collecting the rent from all the renters and oversee the, uh, the electric electricity and the gas. She would get a free apartment, free utility, and get a $850 uh, paycheck per month, which will pay for her college, for your, for your daughter. If you are okay with that, I've made the, uh, made the arrangements. Jack cried like a baby. And he, because of the bitterness in his heart, he still did not accept God. He died soon after. But he experienced God's love through Christians. And his wife, who had been touched by the caring Christians, had responded to the gospel message. This is a true story. Um, now, the question is, are we the disciples of Jesus? If we are, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to show God's love because the Bible says, if you love one another, then the whole world will know that you are my disciples. Yes, we are God's disciples. We are, we are just disciples. That's why we are sitting here. We are saying we are Christians. We come to church. We say prayers. We sing hymns. We read the Bible. But are we really Christians in action? Because love is not a love is not only a noun, is not an adjective, it's before that, it is actually a verb. It's an action. You can say, yes, I love God, but if your actions say otherwise, are we really Christians? Because Jesus said, love one another just as I, I have loved you. What did Jesus do? He died for us. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to do that? Do you want to have this kind of love? I hope that we have, we have the desire to have this kind of love. Now, going back, if we have an empty cup, can we share that love with others? No. Because we, in us, we don't have that love. I mean, I don't have that kind of love. Only when we are filled with the love of God, then we can share that love. Then we can be the disciples of Jesus. For us to do that, what do we need to do? The quotation said, 
the love can come only by beholding. Love is awakened by the beholders, the heart of the beholders. So we have to see that love first. Now, how can you see that matchless, immense, amazing love of God? How can we see that? We have to see God. We have to understand God's love. And how can we do that? By praying, by reading the Bible, by having the devotions. That's, only, that's the only way. When I was in college, uh, I'll, I'll end with this prayer. When I was in college, I met a friend who, I've never met a friend like him. He was so kind, so loving. He had a car. He bought a used car. His, his parents got divorced. His father was a, a retired, well, his father used to be a pastor, but because he got divorced, he couldn't work as a pastor anymore. His mom was living here, there in Washington State, and his dad was living in Canada. He didn't have a lot of money, but he somehow managed to buy a used car. And because in college, a lot of kids don't have cars, he would give his car to anybody who needed a car. He didn't care if they would use his car. He needed that car that day. But if somebody comes to him like, hey, John, can I borrow your car? He's like, sure. He would give him his key. And he would not use his car. And those guys would abuse him later on. They would take the car out and then bring the car back broken or bring the car back empty tank. But John didn't complain. And I was like, John, you have to do something. <laughs> like, I mean... Look at this. Other guys are taking advantage of you. Like, oh, it's okay. It's all good. God bless. I was like, you can't do that. <laughs> and this guy has shown God's love to me. And this guy, I mean, I, I've never seen a guy like this. And he became my leader in, in corporate. And I just learned something more about God through this guy, a friend of mine. And guess what? I've invited him to come to speak at our church next month. He's the guest speaker that's coming. And I'm excited that he's coming here to share something. Um, so keep that in mind. About a month from now, he'll be coming and he'll be sharing um, his, his life story and his, 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 his talk. But I've learned something about God and his love through this guy. And just like that, other people can learn about God through us if we demonstrate God's love. Are you ready to share God's love with other people? Are you Jesus' disciple? That can start when we experience God's love. And it is my prayer that we will see God and His love first so that the love of God can fill us and overflow to others. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for showing us your love. Without your example, we would not know what true love is. Help us to learn more about you so that we can learn more about your love. All those willing hearts who wanted to have that love in their hearts and share God's love, please bless them and reveal yourself to all of us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.